My next guest is somebody who I met way back in high school, and there are people in our lives that when we meet them, we're just automatically in awe, just wow, of this person that we're talking to, because we realize that there's way more to this person than what they're telling us. And this, my guest, is that type of person, that he was that guy. He grew up around the area that we are in today, and he came from a very humble beginnings to where today he's believes in it is what it is and it's all good. I'm here. And, uh, I have found that to be quite enlightening to hear him tell his story. So here he is, Stephen green. It's Church Table Productions. I'm Dan Lewis, and this is a show where we talk about who, what, where, when, how, and why you believe what you believe. This episode, finally, my original co-host, Al Peabody, is here. Thank you. After two months of nothing. A hiatus. hiatus. Yeah, two Uh, months. Church, softball, other things going on. Right, right, right. And um, part of Al's thing is that, just like I am, we're involved in a lot of different ministries. And one of his ministries on Thursday nights is the Church Softball League. And how did that go this season? Uh, about normal. We had one win, and we're not in the playoffs. So there you go. <laughs> like t- like 15 games and... 10 games. We went 1-9. and nine. <laughs> yeah. Golly. Yeah. So uh, and so today's amazing guest is this guy named Stephen Green, and Stephen Green is a. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit of history about Stephen Green. Stephen Green, I knew him from high school, and we're going back into the '90s. Um, I graduated in '97, and I think he is a year five years older than me. Ninety-five. Ninety-five. Put the microphone in, your brother. He's ninety-five, right? Yes. Yeah, this is nineteen ninety-five, and so. Steven and I were in the high school band and he, so Steven's persona, I'm, and if I, I'm, I'm going to take a picture of you just for the show. So Steven's persona, um, he was a skater, but he was this, so my wife says, Steven was this really good looking skater that everybody loved. And he had his persona about like this thing about him. And whenever he walked down the hall, I was like, oh, that's Steven Green. And so, so and it was like he's famous man he's such a good looking guy he's a famous guy because he's Stephen Green and he's a good looking guy but the thing about his talent in the high school bands he played a baritone saxophone and he could triple tongue his reed which if you're listening if if you play any kind of instrument uh, doing to to make a note happen you hit your tongue against the reed or the mouthpiece he's able to do this three times in a row which is unheard of I mean, there's just people who can do it today, but in high school in that time, even my our band director, Mr. Ambach, um, our jazz band director, was like, are you doing this? And Steven's like, yeah, I'll do this, no problem, watch. And he can do it, and he did it on command. Do you remember? I do. Yeah. I do. And so uh, he was in his, and he was, brr, brr, and no big deal to him whatsoever. Mr. Ambach, the absolute uh, most influential teacher I've ever had of any subject, by the way. Nice. Really? Yes. Interesting, I, yeah. I saw him in concert not too long. Well, uh, last year. You know, this, yeah. That's exactly the last place we saw each other is the C3 Big Band yeah. show. Yeah, C3 Big Band show. So C3 Big Band show was this uh, this concert that it was swing, jazz swing. Mm-hmm. 
And Mr. Ambach, he played drums, and his set was a beautiful, enormous set. And Mr. Ambach is a big guy. And so we're sitting over here at Stan's Lake House, and everybody's in the sun. And Ambach is just melting. <laughs> it just really was melting. Drenching. Uh, he must be a little bit up there in age now. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, probably 60s, 70s. Old for a drummer. In. Very yeah. old for a drummer, yeah. But it's the thing about it. I mean, like, he, he, he loved the art. He didn't care how famous he got. It was just the art of it. And I mean, I don't think I'm going to let it go to 70s. I think he's okay. in. He's up <laughs> I there, think though. He's in maybe breaching the 60s. Okay. But. Yeah. Yeah. But he, he, he would just swing with it, man. And it was a beautiful thing. And uh, what happened was he eventually moved to Maine. Uh, to. Um, Upper Marlboro, Maryland. Yeah, Maryland. that was like, well, that makes sense because the fact, heat here is so bad for him. We com- my company moved him. We were we were lucky enough to oh. gain their business with Gail and Keith, and uh, and it was great. Did Julie know. go with them, or she's still here? She's here. Okay, she's an adult. She with her with well, her, with, <laughs> with her mar- She's married and kids and all that kind of stuff. So I think he he took that position at, at a I believe it's a college up there. Yeah, and, uh, he's going to introduce them their digital music platform to that campus wow. so he was very excited about that and that excitement that made him make that long distance move i don't think anything about him wanted to move up there but the excitement and the yeah. gig and all that kind of stuff and like i said he was by far the most influential teacher of any subject i ever had he was just into it man and yeah when, you know even on the days where he wasn't getting his way from the school or from the other band directors or from the program or whatever it's like once that bell rung and he was in front of his students, yeah. that was like his happy place. Yeah. You know, and you can really smell that as a student, yeah. you know, and that when you're going to get better playing music, something you know you're going to be doing for life. To have that leadership and guidance was um, paramount. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm such a huge fan of band and, uh, and, you know, now I have a little one, not so little, but uh, 12 year old in band. And he's doing really, really well right out of the box as a French horn player. I'm just excited. Yeah. I think band shaped so much of my future and history and childhood and adulthood and appreciation and and all that kind of stuff. So I think band is, uh, is a lot more valuable than maybe players who haven't been in band would ever, would ever know. Yeah. You know, I just think it's huge. I saw, I saw your Facebook page with him taking a picture of your boy um, winning an award or something. Yeah, there ago. at his at, at his uh, yes, yeah, at, at his middle school. He's in sixth grade. This is his first year with his instrument, and he is he's really killing it. Oh, I mean, good. He's, his practice technique and his practice um, discipline is ridiculously stringent and awesome. I mean, nice. Especially for a first-year player, he's noticing things that I didn't notice until much further in the game, and it's just really fun to listen to the listen to the mistakes and then the progress, and yeah. then the and then just hearing the you know self praise coming from job well done at the end of every night when he practices. It's really cool. It's not like the squawky uh, practice that I may have put my parents through as a saxophone player. So to them, I apologize, but uh, yeah. I, should, I probably should have played something better. 
Well, the trombone was no better either because when I was playing trombone, it was like. And I don't know what I. I don't think I ever would have taken taken my instrument seriously if, as a trombone player. The first thing you want to do is just <laughs> like the just slide whistle for a two year old. Really, right? Are you, are you? I want to do it all the time. So yeah. Well, for trombone, it's actually easy to kind of get your way a little bit because in front of my trombone line was a trumpet line. And so if anybody kind of pissed me off, I'll be kind of thumping back ahead of my slide. <laughs> the old physical abuse. Yeah, see, now what I know what are you I, doing, man? Now right. I know why I never joined the band right there. <laughs> but no, it was, uh, but no, so you, uh, so when you learned to play, did you learn by sight, sound, or did you learn how to read? You know, everything, everything in my process was a blur okay. until, until decisions made come high school like I didn't want to be at the bottom and I had I had um what I know now to be beautiful people around me Penny Pennington oh um, god yeah was so challenging um you know we we hated each other because we were mm-hmm. you know first and second chair all through the you know um, seventh and eighth grade and then that just that instilled in I think maybe both of us this competition this competitive mm-hmm. respect for each other because you know you're at that age so you're you're you know boys are dumb and you know all that kind of stuff so but um so I think that just kind of going through that I was always in a cloud yeah. like I was just doing what I was supposed to do I wasn't really kind of owning um, yeah. the instrument or the music or anything like that I wasn't you know feeling it it wasn't there right then yeah but you get into these mindsets where you're a little competitive and, and you're also willing to practice and you're willing to kind of take what the teacher tells you and all that kind of stuff so just kind of learning that whole process was a blur to me okay. it was just like yeah okay i guess i'm all right at it and then you know you get into high school and even before high school because my sister was two years older than me and we followed the same school leaders or feeders so I had a pretty good idea of what high school band looked like, mm-hmm. and it was awesome to me. You yeah. know, my dad was a police officer who worked the Friday night football games there at Standard Stadium for Newman Smith, and my sister was two years older than me. And if I didn't have anything to do with a Friday night on a Friday night, I went with my mom yeah. up to watch, you know, my sister march, and then you know we'd always hang out with my dad who was just there in uniform. And I don't know, there was just so much like adolescent freedom that I had because yeah. I was in a big stadium and I didn't have to sit with my parents. <laughs> I didn't have to pay to get in. I didn't yeah. have to pay for a soda or nachos or anything because I'd go up there when I was hungry I'd go get my dad and we'd roll and get some concessions, you know, and nobody nobody charges those guys. <laughs> and so, and then my mom, she was a trooper, man. I look at the way that my mom did um, my band career and my sister's band career and i think any band would be lucky to have ladies like her and people like her really um she was always working the concession stand and that would gain us um money towards our what we needed in the band or personally to go on band trips and stuff and so her and a few other parents really did so much more than i ever recognized you know and you look back now and i'm like I could do all that. And then it comes to sign up for it. And it's like, man, on a Friday night. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, so I want to give a shout out to mom because she did a lot, oh, yeah. a lot, a lot, lot for, you know, for my sister and I, both our sakes in the band and for the program too. So, so anyway, being, 
um, you know, having an older sibling in the band, it just took, um, it gave me a lot of news, yeah. you know? So when I got there, I feel like I was kind of waking up into, this is all I've ever known of high school. Yeah. This is where I want to be. I don't want to just be a saxophone player. I want to be a section leader. I don't want to be just a guy in the hallway. I want to be the, you know, the guy that's kind of rallying everybody to smile or for a nicer day or whatever. But I'm sure I was a pipsqueak. I mean, I did a lot of dumb stuff, you know. I mean, so I looked up I, to you. Well, there's a lot of yeah. people that probably didn't. Yeah. <laughs> and to them, I all wish a really, a really great life and great future. <laughs> and uh, you know, I didn't mean it, and it was a long time ago. And let's just let's just have a cup of coffee. <laughs> a cup of coffee. No, I, I actually I did look up to you because. You were this person who was, um, I didn't idolize you, of course, but I was just like, oh, it's Stephen Green, because I wanted to be in a jazz band. And Mr. Ombach was like, no, because I didn't learn how to uh, read music until my sophomore, junior year. It's a tough sell. Well, because in the trombone, my private lesson teacher said, this is what it sounds like. The F, the no F, play E flat, play D, this is where it's on, this is where it's on your slide. This is where it's supposed to sound like. So that's how I learned how to play. It wasn't until I was sitting next to uh, Brent Webb, mm-hmm. who was my good dude. Safant, he was like the yeah, he's a really good, great guy. He dated my sister too. Wonderful. So he <laughs> was um, he was like my big brother in a way in the high school band, where he um, he was sitting next to me. And somehow my schedules got mixed up because I was always in concert in third band. Mm. And he was in symphony with Mr. Harmon. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sitting next to him. He says, okay, do you know how to read music? I'm like, no, I don't, man. But I know what this says. Yeah, I know how to play. This is an F. And I play it for him. He goes, wait, you don't know how to read music? I'm like, no. I learned by sight and sound. I learned by this is where my position needs to be in my slide and trombone. And this is how I need this, what it needs to sound like. I could play a high B flat. Tell me you play a B flat in the first position. No problem. I got it. So that's how I learned. And it wasn't until sophomore, junior year to where I actually had to learn how to read music. And um, somehow, through all the reading competitions that we sight reading competitions, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was listening to the, sl- the sounds of the slides next to me mm-hmm. to know where I needed to be. Because I couldn't read music in my freshman year. Freshman, sophomore year. I couldn't read the music. I could just hear it. And so although we would get division ones and sight reading did you play trombone through middle school or mm-hmm. junior high yeah yeah that's just the way it was and you just didn't learn to read music never learned to read i don't know how the heck i would have made it through middle school well for saxophone music. you have to learn where your keys are sure but for trombone it's just this is what it sounds like i get it play it but there's but there's a lot of musicians today who play guitar who never learn to read a note at all now the guitar I could see, yeah. you know, a, a trombone is not something your dad has laying around in the corner, so you pick it up a few <laughs> no. times a week and then, you know, learn how to play Smoke on the Water or whatever. So a guitar, to sound good on a guitar, you know, just just sit with it for a minute, play some of your favorite songs that you sound good at, and then throw some shade or some attitude on there, and you probably sound pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can do that with a trombone. No. So. No. <laughs> I'm surprised. Surprised to learn that you didn't learn to read music until uh, till your freshman or sophomore year. I yeah. think I think as your eighth grade band director, I probably slapped you around a little. As Mr. Bla- as Mr. Black, I, you Beautiful. know, I started with Mr. Black. I, I loved Mr. Black. I think he was there um, right until our freshman year or my freshman year in '91. Yeah, 
and then enter Mr. Harmon, who was uh, yeah. good and bad. I liked him. He My does. sister sure didn't. Yeah. But um, he was what I wanted to see in band. I wanted to see a rigid yeah. director. I wanted to he see a hard. guy that didn't really... And that was more in line with how I was raised. You know, okay. there's not a lot of explanation here. You just do it. Mm-hmm. You don't like it, uh, just wait, you know. Yeah. And if you, you know... Now, I know... I mean, this is all history. He doesn't work there anymore. I mean, he probably doesn't do... I don't know anything about their life, but, you know, just to throw it back to the feelings of, you know, inter-1991 to 95, with um, the contrast between Mr. Black and guys like that who were very subdued and very kind of genteel mm-hmm. and nice and, and direct, and I learned a lot from him. I learned... I mean, that's who taught me... In sixth grade, yeah. I learned what the beeline was from Mr. Black after having another band director in the sixth grade. You know, this is elementary school band. And then yeah. in one day, as a clinician... Or not a clinician, but um, a, a guest um, perf- a band director, uh, Mr. Black came in and just popped my pop my eyes wide open on how to read music he said the beeline is in the middle yeah like you want to be the fastest that's the beeline that's why it's in the middle it's straight and oh and i and it just everything clicked yeah in one day and um so i'll never forget learning that from mr black now he wasn't my style you know you know um you know, real quiet, and yeah. you know, and I never saw him in like the in the heavy band situation, like Mm-mm. so directing big high school bands and stuff like that. So maybe yeah. he was a little bit more rigid and stuff. But when Mister Harmon came in, oh man, um, you know, I saw him really take the band by the cojones. Oh yeah, and say, you know, listen, it's it's uh, what did he say? Uh, I don't know this or quit. No, he had. Uh, you know what? You know what? Uh, he he would point at himself with all ten fingers and do like the um, <laughs> the coconut bra motion on a twitch, and he'd say "in charge," and then he would point all ten fingers right at you and twitch again and say "not in charge." And so that kind of solidified, you know, what I looked for in a leader, because you know, yeah. when you sit there and argue. Uh, and you hear people arguing it's really you know and i've taken that professionally too i mean oh. you know there's there's just one leader you know and yep. if there's more than one then you're not going to produce like you could you know if everybody knows and all that but and then i also saw his wife with him yeah who took the um flag core and the onstage theatrics by by the cojones too she was um she was very professional um they had amazing shows because i mean truly i mean really uh if you kind of look around since then or you know follow some of the um uil stuff you'll see you'll see that we were we were led pretty well oh yeah and it was contentious i guess but we always had division one we always get one everything and, Side um, reading, and it was always fun too. Yeah. And if you look at what they chose, Mr. Harmon and, and especially Mr. Umbach in the, in the in the scores that we did for the jazz band. Um, but if you look at what Mr. Harmon chose, I mean, we did Porgy and Bess um, by the Gershwin Brothers, of course, and then. Uh, uh, so that was that's going to stay relevant forever. Okay. So I always appreciate knowing all the music 
in that movement. I mean, that's that's nice that it's all familiar, and it's familiar because I feel like I've earned the the kind of like a little piece of ownership or sincerity oh, yeah. or something when i hear you know summertime come on it's like one of those things yeah. where i usually stop what i'm doing and i figure out how this person's gonna you know render this this version of summertime and uh so and then you know div- what is the name of it the there's so many shows argentina's don't cry for me argentina oh, yeah div- I, I forget the uh, actual name of it um it's her name Avila, Avia. That's where I'm going. Yeah. I, I'm spitting out words. Don't cry for me, Argentina. Yeah. yeah. I forget, and I'm, I'm really kind of surprised that I forget because, again, it's one of those that proved relevant later in life. You know, mm-hmm. you had this big this big Madonna production of it. Not, you know, not that I ever saw Evita. Not Evita. that I ever yeah. saw that. Um, but, you know, so it's kind of like one of those things where it became relevant later. Yeah. And you're like, I own a little piece of that. Yeah. You know, I marched and sweat and quit jobs and stay late and got better, you know, for that, you know. Yeah. And so just a shout out to them. But that's another instance that um, you just find yourself appreciating music in so many different ways. And then you appreciate life and tempo and rhythm in so many different ways, whether you're playing golf or bowling or whatever you got into that, you get into this tempo or this rhythm. Mm hmm. And that all comes from, you know, just drilling your practice and, and realizing that you're tapping your foot and you're not even thinking about it anymore and you're keeping pretty darn good time. And so to have that, when you do start new things like riding a bicycle, you start riding a road bike or a mountain bike, you want to, you get into these moments where tempo is what gets you over the next hill and your rhythm is what get, is what motivates you to keep pedaling, you know, or whatever. And so I almost look at it like a like a tool like yeah. a facilitation tool what would you know to use rhythm and tempo is is usually makes things a lot easier whether, yeah whether you're sweeping the porch or riding your bike or whatever you know and so and uh just to come back to the appreciation that you have for music and the, so then i learned later in life that mr umbach was pretty powerful in a way that he gave us a lot of music yeah, did. as high schoolers to play and in the jazz band we we had these little concerts before school that were so fun because they were just to write the right amount to kind of get you excited to be seen by your peers but there was no grade there was no judging mm-hmm. there was nothing but you didn't want to sound like a schmuck mm-hmm so you played you know you played really well but this was also a little bit of time to show off so that was kind of one of those great things and then you know later in life you listen you start getting into big band and start listening to like jazz and all that stuff as a punk rock skater you never thought you'd be listening to on purpose you know are we in a waiting room and now you're buying the, now you're buying the stuff online but um and then I realized that like some of my favorite tunes are the ones that we played, and now I'm in this old man, you know, conundrum of is it my favorite tune because I played it, or do I just really like that tune and I feel lucky to have played it and have yeah. some ownership on it? So, but that's not a dilemma I'm afraid of. So we're good. <laughs> I'm good with that. But so that's my speech on band. I that's, that's good. I think that's what we asked about. <laughs> and influential teachers. Well, man. So. Um, a band helped me later on in, in the army because I was the only person in my platoon that could march. And you remember how rigorous the marching was Absolutely. for our band. 
Uh, so I taught my entire platoon of 60 people how to march correctly. And uh, I, I, when I got into the Army, I wasn't a squad leader right away. And my squad leader was absolutely horrible. There's four squads in my platoon. My squad was, my squad leader was absolutely horrible. And they're looking at down the line. They're like, you're fired. And they're looking down and they said, Lewis, get up here. You can march, march. Teach them how to march. And so I started teaching them how to march. Mm-hmm. And we do marching drills in the service all the time. And that was fun because they learned how to march. We were, in my company, uh, there was three other platoons in my company. And there, mine's a fourth. And we would do marching competitions. And mine always won because I taught them how to march. And they picked up on the right way to march. And to the fact where other platoons were coming to me, hey, man, how do you march? Can you teach me how to march? I'm like, yeah, sure. Are you ready? Let's go. And off we went. So my the rigorous of marching man by Mr. Harmon was detrimental to my life because it, it continued on. And uh, just for him to, Mr. Harmon, okay, he could have been a general in the military because that's how he trained us. That's how he t- taught us in high school band. You know, high school band is supposed to be fun and how to be and just good times. It was and it wasn't because we were always standing at attention even when we didn't need to be or have to be in the stands. Like we get up in the stands and we sit in attention until the very last color guard got in the stands and then we sat down. And at that time, our band was over 400, almost 400 people. And so we were in this stand, staying at attention for a very long time. Now, your daughter played in Hebron High School band. No, she was on the drill team. Drill team. So a little different, I guess. A little different. Um, Her director was very strict also. Yeah. Um, uh, I was really surprised when she made it all four years in drill team, which is unusual. Yeah. And... The freshman year, we went to the first meeting, and she read us the riot act of what she expected from the girls. And I was sitting there thinking, you're nuts. <laughs> I really did. Yeah. But it really probably was the best experience my daughter had oh, in yeah. high school. Um, uh, just trying. She eventually made captain her senior year. Uh-huh. So it was really a good thing for her. It taught her some discipline mm-hmm. and taught her that she could do anything she wanted to do if she just put her mind to it. Oh, yeah. But it was, uh, yeah, it was an eye-opener. I was the guy in the hallway who didn't talk to anybody. In high school. <laughs> I was the guy in the back of the class. Didn't didn't I, w- I didn't participate in anything. So, um, all this is kind of foreign to me. Oh yeah, it was um, high school band was something, and and I loved when we got a chance to go see Mr. Umbach play. Oh yeah, that once I saw that and heard that, I don't know if Masson put together or if I put that together, but it's also like we're doing this. Meet us here if you can make it. It's this day. Yeah, and it was hot as hell that day, man. Yeah, we we're sweating in that. We we're sweating on that on that deck, which by the way it closed, and and um, well, it's because he moved. No, oh yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm only playing. And um, yeah, but what was sad later on, I learned like oh, they're playing again, they're playing again. I'm almost like I'm no longer there, man. But yeah. still go see them. I'm like, no, I wanted to see you. You are Mr. Umbach, and you're the man. You're the guy who taught us, and I was very appreciative to see him again. I was like, thank you. So he, um, he was like the coolest cat because yeah. like no matter what he was playing, yeah. it was always you always knew that he could be playing it a hundred times faster. Like just the way he sat on the, on the throne, I think they call it, but behind the drums, 
he's this big dude with with curly thinning hair and uh, a smile from ear to ear it's crazy um but he would you would hear a lot of drumming and you wouldn't see a whole lot of moving no. you know so he was the guy that usually that made the most out of his movements and and i just remember every time i you got the pleasure of hearing him just go off yeah which wasn't common uh you didn't hear him go off a lot um he was not he you know he wasn't the kind of guy that would sit behind the drum set and show off even though every single person in the band hall would probably give him two bucks just to hear him for a little bit but he would never really do that so when you heard it it was really kind of special and and being in the jazz band and doing practices before and after and all that kind of stuff you got to hear it a little bit but whenever you saw it it was just one of those things man where you're like i hope i can do anything that cool that coolie you know like what i mean it was just quick and easy and he didn't he wasn't moving and that was a lesson in itself too so Mm -hmm. so yeah and you know to to your point i think that most leaders of that age group have to be pretty firm if they really want to see results and he and he um you know in those directors that were that were in in our in our years they kind of inherited a lackadaisical band program you know old old uniforms that were like 70 pounds of polyester and these weird shoe covers and and these big feathers that went above your hat and all this kind of weird kind of traditional marchy you know Sousa march kind of you know wardrobe-esque kind of stuff and playing older music and you know I remember our selections compared to what my sister had played just a Uh year and a half before which was really traditional marchy you know stuff and then hearing what we were doing and i think our first one was porgy and bess um so that's obviously a lot real sultry and and kind of um you know southern extraordinaire yeah you know so it was a staunch difference than the 120 BPM marches that you would do with your tuba and bass drums and, mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. So. Oh, yeah. Those were good days. I, I, I miss those days a lot. I, if, if I could do it in high school again, I would do band over again. Of course. With with Mr. Hom, with, with Mr. Harmon, Mr. Lowe, and Mr. Humbuck, those three guys. Yeah. I think I think the band is just valuable. And yes. you're going to have different leaders and you're going to have different influences and all that kind of stuff. But to be purpose driven for something that's going to stay with you for the rest of your life, um, that you can do for the rest of your life, no matter your, you know, um, physical prowess or anything like that, you can usually always pick up a horn mm-hmm. or pick up a clarinet or a flute or a piano or a guitar or anything. And, um, and lose yourself for just a little bit, whether yeah. it's 20 minutes or a couple weeks when you're, you know, wanting to get the band back together or whatever. Or, you know, I know that when my golf game goes to crap, it's nice to pick up a guitar and kind of figure out, you know, if there's any way I can kind of link them together. And there usually is, you know, if you remember what you did in on either on a course or in, on, in the office playing. Yeah. It's just another way to kind of introduce, like I said, tempo and rhythm and all that kind of stuff. But with a with a twelve year old in the, a new band program, it's definitely on my brain a lot. Like yeah. I want him to be good. I want him to do well, and he is. And that's not because of me. It's because of him. And um, so I don't know. It's just on the brain a lot. You know. Did this, you ever play the saxophone for him? Oh yeah, yeah, I, yeah. We, my, in my office. 
we have a saxophone, uh, two bass guitars, a guitar, a piano. Wow. Or it's a keyboard, but it's a it's a decent one, and um, a cello. <laughs> Um, all kinds of stuff you can do with the guitar, like the finger picks and and all that kind of stuff. And then they have their slide whistles and their kazoo's, and so about well, about half as often as I wish. But every once in a while, we'll all get you know, Kit and the boys and I'll get in there, and I'll just make them do something. You know, yeah. Listen to the youngest one pound something out on the. Uh, keyboard and then Anthony will come in whether he's playing guitar or bass guitar or thumping on a cello you know or whatever and then you know we'll just try and make something out of it and <laughs> it's good and bad that's but awesome they're, they're getting older <laughs> that's awesome but yeah music is paramount I think it's absolutely paramount to, now you're married so your wife is doing, was she mus- is she musical client she is not no no she's she's not um, I'm trying to think I don't think she plays anything at all, and um, she was she was a hairband kind of fan. So, uh, so hairbands are awesome, man. People give me yeah. hell now. I'm like, no, you actually got to listen to the lyrics. They're really good. You know, this one party. If you can stomach it. It's not my <laughs> it's not my bag. I'm a I'm a punk rock kid, and, yeah. and that was kind of the antithesis of what, or that was kind of the. That's everything that we had our middle fingers up to. Oh, yeah. As I was skateboarding around and looking at poison posters and all this, thinking, why would they do that to their face? <laughs> you know, why would they put pants on like that? You know, now I'm wearing size 50 Dickies with suspenders to hold them up, <laughs> and I'm making fun of a uh, leather pants guy. But, um, you know, that's what punk rock is. Uh, yeah, Stephen walked around with his vans, Beckton vans, which they're big now, but they were huge then. And he had suspenders, and his hair was slicked back or a certain way. And uh, he had that was still like that is today. It's almost the same identical, except for the giant beard. Um, but it was suspenders, chain wallet, and um, our principals started getting started bearing down on that. Our dean started bearing down like you got to take that off. You can't wear it no more. And uh, but lo and behold, he was part of a group that I got involved in where under the water tower. Was where we would smoke or go out to the alley on the other side of school to smoke cigarettes. And so that well, was. Well, I drove early on. Yeah. Like I had a car pretty early in life. And um, I was. I was always intimidated by the water tower. I mean, I would be seen over there, <laughs> yeah. but I wasn't water tower guy. Okay. You know, like yeah. I, I had friends that were over there quite often. And, oh, yeah. And, um,. And I just I don't know like when I made my way over there it would it just wasn't wasn't yeah. where I was most comfortable you know so as a smoker which was really dumb to smoke cigarettes as a high schooler but uh, <laughs> especially in band I mean for real <laughs> but um you know as a smoker who's out of your car or you didn't need to go all the way back to your car you know yeah. uh, the water tower was always there but i always kind of felt out of place and uh, um, so i'll i'll go ahead and denounce uh, <laughs> the water tower life i know that there's people that are a lot more deserving and the camaraderie just wasn't mine so yeah i i remember faces but i don't remember their names um i remember uh i remember a lot of them in a lot of them were in band and um but I don't remember their names anymore, but they're the water tower boys. But then there's the alley guys too, that I would frequent with and the, 
You were never there either. I yeah. don't remember. Yeah. No, I had a car, man. <laughs> I, I, Sounds I like two good names for a band. The Water Tower Boys and the Alley Guys. Yeah. Oh, that's a good yeah. one. Yeah. yeah. I, maybe I should change my show to that, the Water Tower Boys. No. Well, no. You don't smoke anymore. <laughs> oh, no. So, I, no. Yeah. Um, no. So, uh, wow, man. What amazing. So, what? So, okay. So, the purpose of the show is to get so into we're still in like high school we're you still in high school that, right? yeah like i love band but you know in high school is all band for me i mean i really don't i don't really know of any other high school stuff i mean i, I learned a lot of good lessons in high school but you know was band was the biggest one and never spend your change i think the economics teacher was mr parks and uh, he <laughs> taught me to never spend your change and so I saved my change in a jar, uh, just like he said to. And um, and I love that. I live that. Uh, did that for a long time. But uh, the biggest, um, I guess, proof is that we spent we spent my change in two thousand three. So I started saving my change again in two thousand three. Yeah. And in two thousand ten. We had enough money to for a six day thing to Vegas, <gasps> flights and meals and liquor and everything was included. <laughs> I bought a giant uh, road bike which was thousands and um and and had it shipped. And then <laughs> my wife and I had wow. six hundred dollars uh, each in cash to spend in Vegas or to to gamble. Don't spend Vegas. your change, man. So <laughs> and that was you know seven years. You know, so that's kind of a good barometer of, of what not spending your change. Now, that was also seven years of a lot of cash money and not, not so much on the card like we do now. I mean, back then you wouldn't put it on the card if it was less than 20, 50 bucks, you yeah. know. And now, you know, if your total is 270, you know, you're going to put it on a card. You yeah. Know? So a lot of change doesn't come your way. But if it does, I don't spend it. So. That was one. That was another good lesson from high school. Do you teach your boys that too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they both have piggy bank collections. Nice. It, yeah. So anytime I see a cool bank, I bring it home for one of them. Very uh, good. Yeah. I'm not a big collector, but that that is one that they that I encourage both of them to do. You know, <laughs> if you're good. gonna collect anything, let it be money, right? <laughs> right, right, right. Church Table Productions is brought to you by Anchor.fm. Anchor.fm, the one-stop shop to get your podcast off the ground. Now back to the show. So you were, um, so when were you born? So the question I have for you is when were you born and what was life like for you in the family you grew up in, the dynamics? So I was born in 1977 in uh, Carrollton, Texas. My parents were good, hard-working folks. Uh, Dad had a job, and then he was also a reserve police officer for the city. And then my mom always worked nine to five or better or more, you know. So mom and dad always working, right? Yeah. And my sister was pretty strong at an early age. So independence was the word of the day at the house, you know, and I had a lot of friends. We had a ton of people appears on my street, just on my street. We had, you know, six different crews that you could, that I could, you know, hang with, you know, good ones, bad ones, you know, the ones that you could bring around the house and the ones that you couldn't and all that kind of stuff. So I was always, 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 always 
out outside okay never never really inside because mom and dad were you know not home until five thirty, six o'clock and you know all that kind of stuff so but they were always there for us yeah it wasn't like they were gone you know if we had anything to do they were there you know and uh, mom mom made it to every soccer practice every baseball practice and all that kind of stuff um grew up like i said i grew up in carrollton working family remember all my friends and that was that was really where my head was at you know my whole childhood was was um how to stay busy and what am i going to do now and you know some of it was pushing the limits and pushing buttons you know that was a big part of it especially the button pushing um knowing now it was just a way to get attention and you know saying somebody look at me and all that kind of stuff you know yeah um but i don't think it was too crazy i've seen worse yeah no yeah definitely um but you know started mowing yards really early on in life so always having money in my pocket you know and um and that's just what where it went you know i started working really young and um before high school and um always had a job and then i was always mowing yards so i always felt like i had and i never had to ask my folks you know okay and um i love driving you know back i still do but um but yeah that was kind of like you know and we just talked about high school for about an hour so it would pretty much sum that up so bring it you know to 95 and it was time to time to graduate and figure out what's what what it is going forward and i really didn't have any plan yeah any any you know any guidance or plan or or anything like that at the time you know so it was just uh you know see what you can do out there you know and right. I, I i moved out very very quickly like my sister and i had a place because she was already living away and so i became her roommate um pretty pretty same timeline as graduation day uh, if wow. not, yeah so it was it was pretty immediate and uh that's where life started yeah. you know that's where you know influences come in hard and fast and you're either tough or not you know and uh that's when work was not this coy thing that you could do to rub a couple couple bucks together but it was one of those things where if you don't do it you're you're screwed you mm-hmm. know there goes your apartment and your you know all that fun stuff you wanted and uh so that lasted a little while and then uh and then uh take a couple jobs here and there and, and then moved down to Huntsville wow. with a with my best guy Ryan uh Ryan Wicker he was going to Sam Houston and he called me one day and we were both working at Mama's Pizza. He would work there when he came home from Sam Houston and uh, he called and had a uh, kind of this sound in his in his voice where he's just like hated his life, you know. He's like hated it, you know. And I was kind of in the same place because I was working at a pizza place and then during the day I was moving uh, or not moving yet, but uh, I had two jobs, Mama's and I think I was still at KFC. And uh, so we were working at Mama's Pizza, and and I had another job, and I hated them both. And then I had relationship issues at the time, so I was just like, you know what, man? I think I'm going to go quit my job and drive down there and just be there. Can Uh I be there? And he was like, let me go ask Chad. Chad was his roommate at the time. 
And so we had this deal where I got to live on their couch and still pay a third of the rent. I just thought that was the greatest, you know? Yeah. <laughs> even, yeah. even though they're saving a ton of dough and I'm getting the shaft. But you don't care at that age. I don't care. No. So I rolled out that night. I told I told Ray Petta, that was our, the owner of Mama's Pizza. He was in that night. I told him, I think, I think I'm going to quit, dude. I'm going to go live with Ryan. Like right now. And he's like, all right, well, you going to close down first? And I said, yeah, all right. So at about 10.30, we close the restaurant at 10. About 10.30, I get in my, I had a 72 Cutlass. And uh, I got into the Cuddy and and drove. And I think that night I made it from uh, Josie and Beltline to Huntsville, Texas in an hour and 50 minutes. Wow. And that was hauling. And I just yeah, felt, that's hauling her. I just felt so. And I didn't have a radio in that car. So there was, and you know, this was before cell phones. So this was all just unadulterated, just speed. Like how, you know, like I, I, mean, I know I'm going to get pulled over. I'm, I'm going to count on this ticket. And it just never happened, and I just had the thing pegged, and uh, I got there to Huntsville, and uh, the party was crazy. It was a college apartment complex on a Saturday night, so everything was just crazy. And I remember seeing like my first glimpse of college life. Uh-huh. You know, I would I never been to you know I went to Brookhaven Junior College for mm-hmm. a little bit, just to throw some money at it, but. Uh, when I got to Huntsville, it was like speakers turned out of the window, you know, six different kind of musics playing. You got a little little trio of people playing guitars and drums. They sounded horrible. <laughs> you got all the doors open and people sitting, you know, and not these, but let's say people, they're all students. And you see cans and bottles and pink hair and and just all this kind of like holy life, you know. This is this is what organisms do here. <laughs> and uh, that was kind of that was kind of freedom. So uh, the first week I didn't do much. I went down the phone book calling from A to B, not not any specific field, no trade or nothing, just A, it started with A, uh-huh. and then by the time I got to M, uh, a guy said, yeah, you can start tomorrow as a mover, and, uh, and that was really, that shaped a ton of my life, uh, as that's what I still do today, I own a moving company, and we have great guys, and I love doing it, and I think it's just what, what, what I'm here to do. And uh, so I started working for Huntsville Moving and Delivery, and, uh, and that was the coolest because I was living the work in life. I had my own place. Uh, shortly after that, me and Ryan got our own uh, house and on Avenue L and a half, uh-huh. which was always cool to say. I live on Avenue L and a half for some reason. That just makes my day. <laughs> but um yeah that's a lot L and a half yeah that's yeah. cool and that's it was cool. it was just a little side street in Huntsville in this piece of crap dilapidated two-story house that they split into four apartments and we got a little piece of it and it was just everything we could do to afford it and uh you know that's when I started like working like like with your work boots or soaking wet at the end of the day and you're coming home and you're like I am too tired to party I'm too tired to do that you know and you're just I was just working for the first time it felt awesome you know the money was decent because we you know and I 
I didn't know, but I was pretty strong in the pocket. You know, I was, I was doing good work for this dude. And, um, you know, he had multiple conversations with me about my red and blue and pink hair and my nose ring and all that kind of stuff. So I never really wanted to be his leader because yeah. I wanted to look how I wanted to look. And, and that wasn't about him. You know, he the, the money guy doesn't get to have a nose ring. Yeah. You know, but in short order... <laughs> Uh, I realized that all the old tops that were there when I started were gone and now he's got newer guys coming on and they're in my truck and now I'm driving his trucks and so I've, I've found value real quick when, when he saw me leading anyway so it felt good I felt natural at it and, and I asked him for more money and he gave it to me and then I had you know I felt good like an adult and then uh and then you know get homesick so it's time to come home right? man <laughs> how so long did you do this for i think i lived there with ryan for a little while maybe i don't think i got to quite a year but it was pretty close it was like 11 months or something and then uh, wow and then i in that time i sold the cutlass and you know and all that kind of stuff because even though i was making some money i was spending it on dumb stuff you know yeah alcohol and and you know girls and and car parts for things that aren't going to make my car run you know and all that kind of stuff so it was just a complete waste at uh at the end of it you know and then uh and then so i moved back to Carrollton area and uh started in with mustang movers out of addison and it was the same story. Uh, I'd been there for a short while. I was the youngest guy there with my blue hair and my, you know, fingers in the air and my punk rock and my earphones. And um, and then all of a sudden, you know, I'm driving his trucks and asking for more money, you know. And the money didn't come easy, so I just left. And uh, I was in a position to move again, so I moved from the Carrollton area up to Denton and um, and worked for other moving companies and, and better got better and better and better and better and then uh, at like I don't know how old but I became I was invited to be a private investigator whoa so <laughs> I did because he's moving you know yeah it sucks. Yeah. yeah. It's fun now, now that I've done other stuff. I'd, I'd rather be moving. Yeah. But, uh, so for a good while, for maybe five years, I was a private investigator for commissioned <laughs> by the state. And Whoa. We, and the firm I worked for, we dealt in uh, disability claims and workman's comp fraud and all that kind of stuff. So it wasn't really so much my wife's cheating on me or whatever anything domestic it was wasn't all, the rockford files i might be dating myself here a little bit but yeah i've heard <laughs> of it i have no idea yeah. what that is though. <laughs> thank you you weren't you weren't shot at or, or you know i was i was shot at and i did have windows broken out and i was you know things thrown at me and um yeah that's why i quit you know when you look at your beautiful wife and you've got this new life um that we had just started back in the day and you're thinking about kids and longevity and stuff, you know, the life of a private investigator doing what we were doing, you know, 
it was uh, adventurous and it was fun, but it wasn't exactly honest. Yeah. And it was, uh, and it was dangerous. You know, wow. people chasing you out of their town. You know, the cops didn't like us. They knew that we were there doing what we were doing, but they'd often call our claimant saying, "Look, there's a dude watching you," and you know, and that gets you in trouble. And then who are you going to call? You know. Yeah. And um, wow. You know, there's a lot of dangerous aspects of it, but it gave me some of the best stories in my life. <laughs> I can imagine. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. there's a lot, lot going on in that profession. So, good on them, but it's not for, it's not for me. Plus, I gain more weight, and it's sit, you sit in your car and do surveillance all day, every day. You just, you know, sodas don't come thick enough, and and you know, you having Jack in the Box two, two times a day, three times a day, and it's going to be bad. And it got bad, so. So there we were. But in 2003, I had, um, no, two, in 2004, in February 2004, my boss had sent me on a bunch of surveillances in a row. And I wasn't home for the entire month of February. And I got home and I had devi- and I had thought about move smart and our five year plan and all that kind of stuff behind the scenes uh, from my without my wife's knowledge, not having the guts to say anything, you know, but I knew I needed to have I knew I needed to change. I'm not going to be a PM into my silver years. So I come home, it's like one o'clock in the morning when I get home and I think I was in from Mission, Texas, because we had all of Texas. So Texas is a pretty big state. Oh, yeah. And um, get in late. I had kind of had it. I was cussing my boss and cussing our process and all that kind of stuff. And I just I looked at Kelly and I said, "Well, I quit my job today." <laughs> and she's like, "What? What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? What are we gonna do? Yeah. We had just built a house, just got a new dog, just you know, you buying all this stuff that comes with the house." Oh yeah. In an apartment, everything costs a hundred dollars. In a house, everything costs a thousand dollars. You know, so we had first recognized this, and I just told her that I just quit my job. Now I hadn't, I hadn't quit, but I told her, I said I quit my job, and she's like, "What are we gonna do?" And so I put this folder down that I had Move Smart and all this, and I had a couple other ideas. I wanted, you know, maybe be my own firm as a PI and all that kind of stuff. So I had a couple other ideas, but moving is always called to me because it's. I think it's a fair day's work mm-hmm. it's simple and it, it, it's necessary it's never going away up market down market yeah. it's just necessary and um that kind of rings fine to me on what you can plan monetarily with mm-hmm. it's always going to be there the need is always there if you give it the effort you're going to do well and if you know if you don't you can come back to it because the need's still there um so so she, I mean, I showed her that folder, and within two or three hours, we had our website. She just took it and ran with it, and I was so amazed by her support and her um, her willingness to help and, and all that kind of stuff that it was just decision-made, done deal. And then I looked at her, and I said, well, I didn't really quit my job, but tomorrow I'm going to go put in my two weeks, because I'm an adult, you know, I'm not going to just quit, right? And so she proceeded to give me the loving taps of, you're a jerk, and all that kind of stuff, (laughs) but we were up and running, and um, and it felt real good, and then the next day I called my boss and gave him my two weeks, and um, that was all great. 
and then uh and then you know my sister was was really great and early and still is today in, in referring us and all that and she one of the clients that she got us our very first client was a task for the ut alum and um they were having a poker night and it was being hosted at a at a furniture showcase room a furniture store in in dallas and so our first gig was to take all the furniture out put it in their little makeshift warehouse and then come back at one o'clock in the morning and put it all back and that's what we did and uh you know we've been in the black ever since and it's been awesome so move smart's been since um, April 20th of 2004 just been killing it well, that's great so yeah so tell us about your parents what what do they believe so my mom was um, my, she still is Lutheran and my dad was always joking that we went and him and I would go to the church of Winchester and that's when we went and shot skeet and trap uh, on Sunday mornings okay. while my mom and sister went to church so church growing up was um, my memorable. Well, my mom, Missouri Synod Lutheran um, religion, and that's I'm baptized Lutheran. My sister's baptized Lutheran, so we're Lutheran. And my dad grew up in Minnesota, and he's heavy Lutheran and, and all that kind of stuff. But he wasn't. He's never been religious. Uh, he's always been Lutheran. Yeah. But he's never been religious, right? Got it. And um, and that was kind of. That was kind of the whole shape of it. If I had to go, it was usually kicking and screaming and, um, and, you know, nothing against the fine people, but the most memorable thing about my church at Prince of Peace was that it was like the first time I saw donuts for free on a big table, you know? <laughs> there you go. And uh, I grew up, started in life at St. Paul Church in, in Farmer's Branch, Um and then uh, once Prince of Peace opened up, it was just down the street from us on Frankfurt, and, and we, we were, I mean, less than two blocks from there. So it was a no-brainer. So we started going there, and, you know, I remember a little bit about the youth group that I was in and just kind of looking around thinking, what am I supposed to be doing here, mm -hmm. you know? And, uh, and then, you know, the donuts. And then everything else was... Um, as I remember it now, I have a little bit more respect for, for what it was because I've been to numerous churches and like the fellowship churches and the Catholic churches and all that where they're, um, you know, the Catholic churches are a lot of ritual and uh, stuff like that. Where I think the Lutheran church was more about bringing something up, discussing how it related to the Bible. And then I remember getting like what we should work on this week socially to tie this lesson into today, you know, as if we're coming up on Easter, which we are now, you know, it was always like a vibe of, you know, hey, I want you to take this week before Easter and figure out how you can be reborn, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And I remember like having those kind of assignments. And, um, you know, later on going to um, Catholic Church, we would, with, um, with my wife, I saw the services as being a lot of up and down, but no, like as an outsider looking in, mm -hmm. um, there was not a lot of meat on those bones as like, what am I going to take away from today's sermon or whatever y'all call it or whatever, whatever it was called. 
and I didn't really take away a lot. I felt like I was becoming a better Catholic by knowing when to stand and knowing when to say how <laughs> yeah. what they're going to say. Um, but that ain't my bag either, you know. I, you know that's um, you know the ritual yeah. is a little is a little much when you don't know the the you know history behind it. You're kind of left twiddling your thumbs, going, "Okay, I guess," you know, and you say yeah. things at a certain time and you kind of feel like Pavlov's dog in a way or you're just you know you're gonna do what they say you know whether you're thinking about it or not it's kind of that was kind of a weird awareness to me in direct contrast to the Lutheran church which which I didn't view like that no you know we hear now or I hear now that Lutheran and Catholic or you know a Lutheran is just a you know, Catholic on after a few beers or whatever, you know, it's just, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and I can dig it cause I, you know, you don't often see a bunch of Lutherans not holding beers, but, um, no, I digress, but, uh, no, it's all right. but that, that's kind of what I saw, but when actually going to the different services and even today going to my mom's church every once in a while for certain events and stuff like that, I don't, I don't see that. Uh, ritual that I do in a Catholic church now um, it's been years since I've been back to a Catholic church but but um, you know and then you get into these fellowship churches which I have to be honest I just don't understand uh, I don't know man I don't know this is a whole rock concert yeah. thing, and I can dig it man it's fun it is. you know it's yeah. fun but I had a lot more I just had a, som- a more somber relationship with with what I called our Creator, and a more curious um, way of life when I entered into those buildings. And I don't like my bell being rung. Uh, you know, it it seems desperate. Like like they don't need this to understand that that there's something bigger and better than themselves you know it just I don't know it just seems highly unnecessary and but on the other hand you know those kids that are up there playing are having the time of their lives okay you're know? talking about the fellowship part I'm talking about yeah like okay. the, the rock concert at yeah. the church you know um, you know and, and again we just talked a lot about being in band and how great it can make you feel so I can dig it oh, yeah. I mean it really can but if you're asking Stephen Green I'll be like that's just not what I see when I hear the word church, okay. you know, and, um, but you know, Hey, I'm not trying to burn them down. Y'all do your thing. You know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's good to be, you know, whatever draws them in, I suppose. Yeah. But it's just not, it's just not for me. The fellowship church, Kelly, my wife, Kelly and I, we sought out a churches near us when we moved into our home and, um, we went for, a set amount of Sundays to a couple different churches and we, we tried Catholic and Lutheran and fellowship and all this kind of stuff. So I, th- I think we gave it a, a good last college try. And, um, of all the stuff I put up with, like having to stand for entire services there in Frisco because it was the only Catholic church in town. And, um, you're standing at the back of this huge building. You can't hear anything except the baby's crying. I mean, you, I mean, it was just misery, dude. It's, you know, think of the worst line at the DMV and <laughs> having, you know, being there willingly. It was just, it was not good. But I would have rather stood there than sit at the fellowship churches. 
because okay. we tried a few of those, and I just didn't understand it. You know, I was watching a pastor wearing like this affliction shirt and this. I'm just, I just, I don't know, man. I'm more traditional with my views on uh, on what's up there in yeah. our Creator, you know, and it just doesn't seem like it should be wearing holy jeans, you know, no pun intended. But um, it's too much for me when their when their opulence is showing, you know. Yeah, that's interesting. So. What do you believe? Okay, wow, man. So many places to go, man. Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, so you believe that there is a greater creator, as you put it, uh, <coughs> which is fine. I, I'm not just. I just want to kind of clarify a little bit. Uh, I don't. Um, do you think that there's some mystical power controlling everybody's lives or predisposed? predetermined what we're going to do or where we're going to go. Yeah, but that's the marketers, you know. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, I think if um, I think if you put my feet to the fire, I would say that I believe in um, in something bigger that, that is looking at us through a more universal lens. I don't necessarily know that they're in control or um, or if they just have a, a very pure appreciation for what I know to be nature. Um, you know, man. Uh-huh. You know. Um, but, um, you know, I've done very little research as far as um, others, but I've thought about my relationship with God, with God really, really early on like in you know high school reading you know different about different religions and what it takes and and you know even just spiritualities and not necessarily religions and none of them really clicked i mean and they still really don't and i find that to be really okay yeah you know i don't denounce it you know i denounce a lot of things that have to do with organized religion as we see it I, I really denounce it. I denounce the, the sugarfoot rich profiteers that beg for your money and your seed and all that kind of stuff. And okay. I denounce really anybody that, um, you know, that just, that, you know, I'll leave it at that. You know, I really, when I say I want to denounce it, I just, I really just don't mind calling them out. You know, even though that people feel better after listening to them, even though people do this and people do that, to do it in the name of God and expect people to make sacrifices for you while you're, you know, while you're, you've got, you know, seven cars in the garage and all that kind of stuff. It's really tough uh, for me to see. But, you know, I don't judge him. I mean, go get it, dude. We're in a capitalist society. I just wish you had to pay taxes on it. You know, <laughs> I mean, that's my, if, if, if I really had a stance against the church, it would just be, I think that they should pay taxes, especially if their doors have a lock on them. Mm. Yeah. Well, we, uh, uh, so you're talking about the, uh, the big dot com churches or the big giant domes and where they're, they're not dressed in traditional they're just like because the catholic church say the catholic church the order of the priest can choose either it's poverty or or just a normal way of life 
and like our priests in our church, they come from a very poverty for India. They are Franciscan. Franciscan. And so and they take a vow of poverty. So like, even though the church will give them a car and a place to live, that's it. Yeah. And, they yeah. get a, a, a little stipend so they can you know buy clothes, yeah. go out to eat once in a while, but it's, they're not getting rich, that's for sure. Not at all. Yeah. Well, if you look at a lot of the way that they'll gain, you know, they don't get money, but they'll get, you know, property when they when they leave, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And that just a, a direct translation into wealth. I mean, you know, the churches have bought up a lot of property. Look at Scientology, and that's a new one. You oh, know, um, okay, yeah. So with with all those, and you see these these pastors who live with nothing and all that, but then you know then they leave or get transferred, and all of a sudden they have you know four hundred acres in West Texas or something like that. Yeah. And it's like where'd you get that? You know? That's not Catholic, but okay. But yeah, I know what you're talking and, about. And, and, and you know, I'm not, I don't differentiate. I don't really know the okay. differences between. Um, well, I mean, the Catholic. Guys. I mean, the Catholic Church. Obviously, it's the largest church organized religion in the world yeah. and if you look at uh, the property it owns as well as the artistic paintings and sculptures and all that stuff it, if you look at it that way it's, it's the wealthiest religion also absolutely but that's all um, you know all the artistic stuff has been donated by people who believe um, uh, it's it's part of the church it doesn't belong to anyone it belongs to all of us that kind of thing and I'll just say that there have been, in the laity, I can't say for the for the priesthood or anybody other than that, but the laity, there is a small movement of people who saying that we should be paying taxes because when you don't pay taxes, the priest is not allowed to make political statements from the pulpit because it's that that makes him, you know. Well, and that's, you know, that's the inevitability of, so if, a, if they start to pay taxes, there's going to be... Of war, essentially. I mean, you know, the church would say, hey, you know, you've got, you know, let's say a million members of your armed forces and we don't pay any taxes, right? And the government says, well, maybe you should pay taxes. And then something like the Catholic Church could just say, well, hey, we've got, you know, two billion members of our Mm -hmm. army. And we have a lot of money to mobilize. So, you know, that's kind of how the strong arm, I think, keeps them at bay. But also, you know, the tax laws are very vague and yeah. um, and the churches don't get audited and all that kind of stuff. And I think that when we have all of that kind of stuff to working together, it's just this loose interpretation of what... what um, what religion can be construed as. And I think that right now... The word religion is a is a hot word, mm-hmm. you know. Um, the word church is hot, is spicy, you know, with conflict and with taxes and with um, with this severe reverence. If you do go, you 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 argue for it, you know, till you're blue in the face, you know, and so everything is just at the height of it and I think we we're really in the mumble rap version of religion and spirituality right now where yeah it's new but are we are we are we is there any substance here is this just another um like cotton candy of spirituality where you go and you go every Sunday and you give and you you know this and that but you know I just don't know it just seems it just seems then acute. 
really thin. Yeah, I understand, and I see your point, and I agree with you to a certain extent that you know whether it's a Catholic faith or any faith, um, it's run by men and women in some cases, and we're not perfect, and some of them are very not even close to being perfect, and they mess up, and they mess up on purpose sometimes, and uh, it's good to be skeptical, and the the lady of the Catholic Church is told to be skeptical. We are told that we should. Uh, voice our opinion to our priests and to our bishops, and um, you know, and that w- whether anything changes, it, the church changes very slowly. Very Some, slowly. sometimes not at all, but it does change from yeah. time to time. Well, it's been around a long time, yeah. Yeah. especially <laughs> the Catholic religion. And I don't, I don't really know a lot of the differences. Like you're saying, laity. I don't really even know Ladies, what that word means. Like we are, we're people of laity, people who are not ordained. Okay. We're not priests or deacons or anything. Okay. So, like, we teach youth group. We're a lady. We're a youth group. We are lady ministers. Yeah. Okay. So, that's lady. Anyways. Well, and, yeah. and know this. I know that there's beautiful church services every Sunday. Oh, yeah. You know, and I, I when I picture one, I think of a little church in East Texas that, you know, all all 26 members are actually here this morning and, you know, yeah, and all yeah. that kind of stuff. and. That's kind of what I remembered going to as a kid and, and being the most impactful. And then um, my grandfather in Missouri, uh, he lived in a small town for a while, and he helped the church. And I just remember um, seeing his craftsmanship all around the building, seeing the smile in his eyes when those doors opened for the service, seeing him, you know, he was smiling even though we were the only ones there because it was snowing. And, um, you know, he was just skiddy, you know, mm-hmm. and that's kind of the conversations that I remember at a church, you know, and when you go get lost in the shuffle of this cattle call of spirituality, it's just why I think I can achieve this fulfillment at home, like with my family. I think I can talk to them about what it means to think bigger than yourself at home yeah we don't need to do all this on a sunday you know let's just be home and together you know so um yeah wow there's a lot of places we can go with this let's uh so what uh, what point did you um so you grew up in the you grew up going to church right yeah Sometimes, young. And sometimes I mean, he went, went I, out and shot skeet. Yeah, once I got shooting, I love I mean, that. That was kind of the end of Stephen going to church. Other than Church you of know, Winchester, love it. Uh, yeah, that's cool. It man. Used to be Winchester Gun Club, and now it's Elm Fork. I grew up there <laughs> every Sunday, man. Okay, if so Dad was doing well. We'd shoot three rounds, but if not, we'd only shoot two. How many? Uh, how old are you doing during this? Maybe ten to you know when i left the house you know it was when so my sister at an early age um went through all the perils of becoming communed or confirmed okay you know yep and so i would watch her go to these classes and this wednesday night and sunday night and you know and all these kind of things i don't remember all of them but um and then it was just like this big deal that this happened with her and she had made it you know and I don't know if it was due to my protest or what, but I never was encouraged to do that. 
you know, huh. I, you know, by my folks, and 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 so I had always kind of like that was fine with me, you know, and maybe they knew something I didn't, you know, and I'll, I always kind of th- look at it that way, you know. I think my dad probably had my back in that regard, um, but once I saw that kind of happen, I just knew that that was okay too. Okay, you know, like I didn't have to do all that because it doesn't, it sure didn't, wouldn't do for me what it looked like it was doing for her because she was just jubilant you know and she still goes and and she's a follower of the word and um and so that's kind of like maybe you know 12 13 i just knew that it really wasn't for me but i always had to go on a few you know yeah you know, a few major moments. And then I always had my favorite was the candlelight service on Christmas Eve. And I really did feel like home, you know, at St. St. Paul. Um, that always felt so good, yeah. you know, and it was cool cause you got to hold a candle and it was cool <laughs> because like all the, like all the kind of cooler people were there at midnight on Christmas Eve, yeah. you know, and then the family had already had some wine. So everything was fun, you know, <laughs> and it was just cool. And, um, you know, my cousin, Amanda, who I don't uh, shy away from saying would burn in a church. <laughs> it was always okay for us to go to that one together. And that was just one of those times that those, those were, those were like home, um, memories you yeah know? and uh so i i have a fond memories of of the church and what it meant and you know i mean remember a lot of that kind of stuff but it's just not what i see today you all know? right and it's there i know it's there oh, yeah. i mean i know that there's some believers listening saying you should go to my service and i would um but in the time that we've given uh, some of these churches here recently it's just like I said we'd rather be at home with each other knowing that that's what works you know for for life and lessons for the kids and stuff like that too so well I'll, I'll be honest with you there's a lot of people who go to church every Sunday and they don't spend Sunday with their family or if they do you know dad's sleeping on the couch and the golf game is gone and he ain't watching it and the kids are playing video games in the bedroom and they're not having that Sabbath day of being together and being family is more of a let's everybody just chill out and, and ignore each other for a while and you know there that happens yeah. um sometimes that happens monday through sunday um and you know some part of me very much identifies with uh the self-sorrow parent who watches that happen but then i realize that man this ain't my youth you know, yeah. these kids want to do this, they can do it to an extent, you know, I think, I think mine have plenty of outside time and stuff like that. But, you know, there's a big part of us that are together on Sunday morning and, um, and it's not always, you know, structured Sabbath, you know, it's not always structured relaxation and bonding time. Sometimes it is independent time. And again, I'm voraciously independent, you know, and I think that most people should be and I want my kids to feel comfortable in themselves and all that kind of stuff. So sometimes that's necessary too. And sometimes it's uh, a little bit more amplified on a day like a Sunday, you know? So, so to your point, I get it. There's a lot of regret in witnessing that stuff, but there's good and bad that come with it. That's, that's how I feel about that. 
Church Tale Productions. If you would like to talk to us, email us at churchtaleproductions at gmail.com. Productions at gmail.com is all one word. Give us a shout if you have any answers, questions, or thoughts for me, my host, or my guests. Holler at us, churchtaleproductions at gmail.com. So the last, so the, the, the time before last, I saw you was at the C3 band show at Stan's and you looked at me and you says, I don't believe in the ist or isms. <laughs> I don't think I just looked at you and said that. Well, we you're were, like, we were, we, so we were at the show. Yeah. And, um, you know, friends there, good people there. The, um, so Dan and I always have these conversations that come back to the church and um you know i always welcome that it's it's a conversation it's better than you know 20 minutes of the same hi how are you so i don't mind jumping into it and you're pretty inviting into a conversation like that and you know there's no reason to run so here there we are i mean like think we've been together three or four times and it's always come to a conversation shaped much the same way and that was a night where you know uh, I think you had a friend with you and y'all were discussing uh, yeah. something and we just kind of got into it. And at that time you had already kind of known a little bit about my stance and me about yours. And, and, and I think that you had asked me what I was or how I kind of categorize myself in the, in the world of spirituality. And I said, I'm, I don't know. I really don't, I'm not an ist or ism. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, if you have a name, you can, your name calling, you know, <laughs> and I don't like name calling. So, you know, all the categories would bug me at some point, you know, yeah. it's like, it's like how, you know, case in point, like saying I'm a Republican or I'm a Democrat right now, you can't do it. Not if you want to, not if you want to stick to your guns and, and do all that. And that's okay. You know, we don't have to do that, you know, but the people that feel such a need to label and you know uh, put their ist all over everything's isms it's just a weird process for me it's and it's kind of indicative of um like what do you care you know like what do you care what i call myself and what what do you think i should care about what you call yourself you know i mean so i think that's kind of like the chip on my shoulder coming out but it's just to me I don't know how else to be other than to kind of not want to call somebody names you know and I know that if Dan Lewis calls himself a a theist or a Catholic or whatever you know in 20 years time it could be different Yeah, you know five years ago it could have been different you know five years ago it was 10 years ago was different you know so we're all different and it's all the different times you know i mean and i'm not you know like i said earlier in the show i do have great memories of the church and i wouldn't want to say never again you know if i if i end up an old silverback in the middle of nowhere texas i wouldn't mind going into a church and being you know the maintenance guy you know around great people doing what they love you know and all that kind of stuff so with the name calling and the categories and, and all that kind of stuff uh, that comes with anists and isms and, and, you know, ologies and all that kind of stuff, sometimes it's just too much for me. Yeah. I don't like to commit. 
You know. So calling yourself an Easternism is your form of committing. Well, it's like I don't want to let you have it, you know. <laughs> like I'm not an atheist, <laughs> and I don't want to be painted like that. But uh, it's like I also don't want you to think of me that way just because it's easy. I don't want you to think of me unless I'm in front of you, you know. Like It's hard um, not to think about you, Stephen, i got to tell you. Well, you're not the first person who said that. <laughs> but... Ooh. But, um... You know, I just, it's like, even if we're having a conversation, like even if, um, even if I commit to you and you commit to me to get to know each other more, you know, you have these social commitments, just like you do with a budding friendship and all this kind of stuff. Like, you know, that if you enjoy spending time with that person, even though you're not kind of the same person, you have things to put up with. Yeah. You know? And, and a lot of times that's okay, you know, but when it's not okay for me or is when they come with their cup holder and they try and put you in it, you oh. know, and I think that with a lot of the name calling and titles and, and kind of demonstrous nomenclature kind of thing, I'm just like, don't, you shouldn't do that to people, you know, and I don't really want to let you do it to me, you know what I mean? And I just don't think we should do that to people. Kind of have this assumption of, of what they are if they say they're this and what they are if they say they're that. You know, I mean, it's just really tough because nobody's only one thing. Okay. You know, you're not just a this and you're not just a that. You know, and if they were, you know, I think that uh, we've really rested on our laurels when it comes to, you know, the leaders of some of these churches calling themselves holy people you know whether it's you know uh, big national drama or the guy that just took that extra 10 bucks out of the plates when he was counting it out you know and i know that we happen yeah. you know those decisions happen every day man yeah and i don't see them but you know they're there mm -hmm. you know so i'm okay with that but i don't want to be judged by that guy so you say so i call myself a christian that's putting myself in a box not to the, me. Well, I think the term is pigeonhole, where if you look back at like old movies and stuff, and they have behind the counter of the hotel, they have all these different little compartments for mail. Okay. Yeah, that's called a pigeonhole. And you look at somebody, and the first thing you see is their skin color, or their facial hair, or their tattoos, or whatever, and you go, I, I know who you are just by looking at you. You've oh, been pigeonholed. Right. Right. Okay. Right where you are. And, and he's saying like, don't do that. You don't know me. You don't know what I think. You don't know how I feel. You don't know what I've been through in my life. Yeah, yeah. So how can you pigeonhole me someplace when you don't have any clue who I really am? Well, and to another degree, I mean, if you, and again, if you ask me about me, you can get a different answer tomorrow. You know, know. I'm not one of those guys that, that claims to be this super rigid, um, rigid dude of routine and all that kind of stuff yeah. i mean i'm willing to admit that hey man i i could be a completely different person tomorrow one day i want to wear my docks and the next day i want to wear the best looking loafers i got you know and i do and um and i think that you know it just ne it needs to be i need to be that comfortable and so in these conversations that's why i don't like to denounce anything but you know I'll, i will certainly tell you how i'm feeling right now but i would want you to next time we see each other to not absolutely hold me against anything that i may 
sound you know very fervent about today yeah you know like I don't know. It's just pigeonholing is good, and then the first assessments of people are good, and we all do it. You know, whether it's guilty or or um, socially prowess. I mean, if you're prowess, you're going to know that the you know certain people are going to kind of do certain things, and then you can call that profiling, or you can um, call it you know idiotic assuming, you know, yeah. which is the flavor of the day. And some people look at it like common sense. Of course, you know, they're going to do this if they're that, you know, and all that. So to shed those assumptions just feels really great. Okay. And, um, and to be non-committal is kind of weak, uh, to a lot of people. Um, but you know, not to me, it means I'm open and I'm learning and, and, and I'm always willing to listen. And I go to services of people who ask and not often and not especially anymore, but, um, you know, I wouldn't consider myself closed minded just because I don't want to commit, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm down to learn. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, you say this and now I, I, I understand, um, when, when I had people, they come up to me and say, I'm a Christian. And it's, I almost put them up on a pedestal in a way. And then they somehow, I've always it happened, somehow they always proved themselves to be not because my mind's like, okay, I put you in a pigeonhole. Yeah. And then you do something, they do something like, that's not what a Christian does. And I look at you like, that's your fault, dude. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that guy's just being that guy. Yeah. And so. You know. Like I, I had this one lady at a uh, my son's uh, football game. He came out and said she came out and said, "Yeah, I'm a Christian." He gave his whole long text of uh, Bible verses and everything else, but then coming back around, she just did nothing but gossip. And I'm like, "Okay, so how many examples do you want?" Yeah, I know. You know, I mean, yeah. how many examples do you want? You know, like, uh, you know. I mean, they're all out there, and they're yeah. all fairly elementary when you look at them in the context of history. Something like Joel Osteen's church not opening the doors during the floods. You know, <laughs> I know that's news, and I know it's a this and that. I'm not yeah. trying to bring it up like he's a bad guy, but those examples are everywhere. That's you're talking about the seven car guy everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And then you've got, you know, of course, the troubles with the children in the uh -huh. church. And that's something that, you know, a lot of people can't get over. So for a lady on the baseball field to say, I'm a Christian and we need to, you know, John three sixteen or whatever that is, um, you know, that's the least of my worries. That's, yeah. that's fairly harmless, you know? Yeah. But the ones that are, the ones that are doing real harm are, are the ones that really kind of make me lament any of this process. So what, what kind of harm are you talking here? Well, I mean, the Catholic Church oh, yeah. and the Baptist Church recently found and, and all that kind of stuff. It just, and it, you know what, listen, it's not new. No. It's not news. It's just what happens in these organizations, you know. And there's other organizations, you know. I don't want to throw them all into the bus because this is the church roundtable, so we'll let some of the institutions <laughs> of America. Church roundtable. Or the, what, the church table. Church table church productions, table. yeah, yes. yeah. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, as far as speaking about the church... It's just, you know, how close does it have to be before people just be like, you know, I knew, you know, I'm just going to say a random name, but I knew Rhonda yeah. and I knew her son. And now I know that they were both going through that the entire time we knew them and they were too scared to say anything. 
at what point does a person who without awareness just break away from the church and break away from that that um, organization that allowed that you know and um and so you know that's just not something i can reconcile right it's just not something when i say myself all right they got a couple years and then i'll go back you know i'm okay with just washing my hands of it you know yeah and if i'm not going to advocate for the victims which i don't i feel for them and i sympathize but i don't take cause of action to make their lives any better if i'm not going to take those actions then i don't need to be involved because none of it's going to end up well you know so you you see things like that and it's just you make i make these decisions and that's it you know and i'm not proud of them and i'm not you know it doesn't i'm not boasting to be final with it but it made you know there's a lot less uh, curiosity when you just don't wonder anymore because you wouldn't be a part of it even if it was the best possible outcome like if you went to great services and all this and you met with great people there and you you know as I sit back and look, I still don't want to be a part of it, man, because that's just tainted like crazy. And if I introduce myself as one of those guys to a person on the outside looking in, and I was bunched up with them, that's the kind of group of people I would never want to be bunched up with. You know? You're saying this now, and I'm having this conversation with uh, my sister's boyfriend and my wife the other day, and uh, I'm in this moral dilemma where the church is the church itself is not as itself is not flawed the people are flawed and they're doing this and with with the children so if i knew you personally and knew that you were you did this act this this pedophile thing i would wash my hands of you and walk away and totally distance myself with you completely now that the church is going through this i'm like I don't want to be involved with the church. Well, you in a gotta, way. you know, you're involved, right? So well, I'm wasn't. very involved. Yeah, but so I it, think if you make a commitment to make it better and to see something, say something. So if you if you make those commitments in mind yeah. and in, in, in acti- actions and spirit and in, in movement throughout your decisions, then there is a way to altruistically be involved. But I'm not that guy. I'm not. I'm not involved in the church. Yeah. I, I, ha- I wasn't grown up that way and or brought up that way. So there's nothing in me that sparks like, hey, you know, I will be here to make this better, yeah. to make sure that nobody else goes through this, you know. So I think there's a way to do it as an insider looking in. But as an outsider looking in, it's like, why would I put my money down on this? You know, why would I invest yeah. into this, you know, when it goes against like everything, you know, that I know to be okay? You know, these are children. You know, this is where I'm at, right? This is their trust. Even though I'm on the ins- even though I'm on the inside, I'm still like, why do I want to continue you know, doing I'll this? I'll be honest this sucks, with you, man. man. This, this is this is the exciting part of 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 Dan and Stevens talks because you're on the inside looking in, and we often come to this place where. I just want to shake you and say, then what are you doing there? You <laughs> that's, that's, know, and, and all that. But you have a, you have a very sincere regard yeah. for the church. And, and what I mean by that is making it better. Every time we've talked via text or, uh, you know, uh, in front and, you know, during the jazz band or, or at the reunion or whatever, we've talked a lot at the bowling thing. Every time we've talked, you've always talked about 
making it better. And it's never been like the marketing um Try to get you involved, Deucer, man. Well, yeah. no, to try and get more young people involved. You know, yeah. you know, it's never been that. It's always been. I just want to to make sure that the young people are learning what is important and all that kind of stuff. You've never said anything about to get more people there or to grow the church. I mean, you don't talk like that, and that's kind of nice for a guy like me. I don't like being sold, and I can smell it a mile away. <laughs> And you just have that air of, of, I'm here now, I want to do the best I can, I want to make sure that it's all for all the right reasons, yeah. and if it sounds good, it sounds good, and if it sounds choppy, that's okay too, because I'm going to be here next week. You know, and that's pretty, it's pretty cool, because of what isn't there. You know, what, what is not there. There's no, there's no marketing, you know, like I said, to get the asses in the seats. You know, you don't have that air about you at all. And it isn't to, you know, to teach the church a thing or two, you know, it's not that either. You know, you have this regard that um, looks respectful and still, um, you know, open to appreciate, you know, a guy like me who has very little to no regard, you know, and I regard the tradition and the history and the things that they've done for for the community, I guess, if you want to call it that, but, um, you know. As far as the space on a Sunday, not very much regard. And you've always kind of handled that well. And there's not a lot of guys like you that would sit through multiple conversations with the same naysayer, you know, as they get more and more inflamous, you know. Well, that's the way I grew up in high school. I was non-denominational in high school. I I took a step away from the Catholic Church and and, uh, just, just explored my freedom of religion to find out why people believe what they believe and and go to the source myself not take their word for it just go to the churches go knock on the doors go sit in the pew and listen and and when i was in a service i learned quickly my dog tag said christian on it because there's no room for fighting over this it's whatever you believe it's a beautiful thing if that's what you want to do knock yourself out if that doorknob is your god right that's your god that's you man i love you no matter what and so when you were talking to me about something like i love this conversation i love this stuff why can't more catholics why can't more christians of all denominations be open-minded and if we were able to do this we would solve a lot of our crappy issues that we have just like it's good man let's just shake your hands let's get a beer let's get some coffee whatever you want to do this be yeah and I so when that- you say stuff like that i'm like awesome well that's cool bring it so i brought it you and continue man (laughs) it's here in my pocket so yeah that's that's the way that's the way i grew up and um and when i hear uh old school catholics they're talking i just like what are you doing you're not helping you're not making anything better you're actually you're actually regressing the progression that we're doing here if you're sitting on a street corner like you're gonna to go to hell because you don't believe in the way the Catholic believes, you did nothing but make those people run away. So, open mind, open heart, open arms. Let's do this. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, the more of a discussion we can have, the better. But you know, for an institution like the Catholic Church, there's no reason to give up no. uh, part of part of what they're doing, and that's. You know, you can call it too big to fail and all that kind of stuff. But I don't really like to break down the church as a business 
you know I think that they were much more before you know we introduced profit they just took it from you you know they're gonna take it and now we you know we profit off of each other which is what I think a big a big problem is in the world of like spirit and naturalism you know it's all about you know profit and instead of you know just existing you know we've gone so far away from natural order that there's not much left and that's indicative of the spiritual teachings today you know yeah. the prosperous uh, sermons and everything is about you know pray to make your life better you know and a lot of prayers that you hear today are about asking asking for stuff and asking for blessings and all this kind of stuff and you know i know at the end of every service they tell you who in the congregation is sick and who passed away and Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff and i think that that should be first and i think you should have a long long time to think about those people and if the service is longer that's what's up yeah you know and um and i just i don't know like i said i have a much more somber you know relationship with with reverence and if i want to think about mildred who just suffered a stroke and it's really bad because her husband jack just passed away i want to spend a few few minutes just quietly thinking about her and the life that they lived and you know what jack's hands look like because he worked so hard and and um and that's really lost i think there's no like illustrative um lessons of reflection really for the for the young kids to kind of sit down with you know your elders and and listen to them tell stories that you know you might not appreciate now but later in life you might a whole lot you know and oftentimes the older the cat is that you're sitting with the more they're going to teach you later when you get outside of your space you're in now and you recognize that you know you learn something about how to take care of your hands better because you listen to jack talk about how he worked with his hands his whole life and you just thought he was complaining about working hard and we don't do anything we're a bunch of ninnies and then you learn that he used you know orange peels to (laughs) fix the cracks on his hands or something like that just in one little bitty sentence and then all of a sudden you have this like life lesson, you know, and I think that's what a lot is missed where, you know, you have all this ritual and you have all these doors to go through and, you know, and, you know, and then you got the, the money that's expected and demanded in some cases. And then you've got the, you know, and all that, it's just so muddled when I think it should be so simple, yeah. you know, how to converse with people and learn from them and then do it for a greater and common directional good you know it's like the original idea is no longer there it's just placated it seems like everybody should know it and now now that we all know it you know you should pay us to keep it going you know and that's kind of that's kind of really kind of an adolescent view but it's still there in the back of my mind you know it's really hard for me to see the the money pit go around and everybody's handing into it and all and i know you gotta have the lights on and i know you gotta do all this but man i don't know man well these you guys kind of what spurred just now is um yeah the basic theme of the catholic church is still uh 
the two commandments that Jesus gave us. One, love God. The other is love your neighbor. But the same thing that Jesus um, condemned a lot of the priests at the time he was here was that they were too busy following the rules to practice what they actually preached. And, you know, this long conversation you guys had, and I'm listening carefully, um, I get it. And you got, you got a really good grasp of where, you, where everybody should be, to be honest with you, whether you belong to the church or not. Too many people from the laity all the way up to the Pope get stuck on the rules and when you're supposed to kneel, when you're supposed to stand, how you do this, how you do that. And it, it does drive me crazy sometimes when people say things like, you have to do this. And I go, why? You know, from a young age, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, even today you go to, you go to something like a funeral, mm-hmm. you know, because a funeral is not so much like a service, but a, a religious funeral, there's a lot of up and downs that you wouldn't know even if you were a member of that church, mm-hmm. you know, and and so you kind of you kind of pick your battles. When am I going to stand? When have I just stood enough? You know, right. <laughs> you know, it's like you know. At one point, are we um, the hokey pokey kind of thing? Uh, not to make fun, especially of no, a funeral environment. Um, but you find yourself in this state of confusion and then you kind of put your hands in there and then you have to sit back and think, okay, so I got that wrong. And then, you know, so now I'm looking around at other people kind of thumbing through and I'm like, wait a minute, I really just want to be thinking about this person. I really want to just be paying homage to what I know of this person who lies before me or in best case scenario, I I want to not worry about singing the right hymn at this time or, or, or standing at the right time or whatever but I want to be listening to this person who prepared this sermon or speech or whatever about my loved one you know and, and, and I get caught up in this standing and sitting and all that not that it's a huge deal not that I, it's a deal breaker because when I'm there I'm, it's pretty easy for me to just re-enter my own headspace so I don't lose a lot right. of what I went there for <clears throat> But as an outsider looking in, I just think it looks like a whole lot. It's just like, why can't we just be a certain way? Um, but, you know, it's because it's not my club. You know, I didn't right. start it. I'm just <laughs> I'm just here, you know. And so, you know, who for me to be? But No, I understand. And like I said, I think you got a better grasp about what people should be, how people should be living their lives. And too many people, in almost every denomination, are more concerned about the rules of... And it's just really... Um, it is frustrating that that, that um, people are, again, more concerned about their appearance, more concerned about how they're being pigeonholed. Don't tell me I'm one thing when I know I'm something else. When really, what we really need to be is, is concentrating on... You know, like I said, if you're going to use the example of a funeral, we should be you know, paying respects to this person and his their family who's still here, and hopefully, uh, uh, pray that they, you know, and and just you know, being respectful of who they were and who they are. Yeah, I mean that's kind of why you go, mm-hmm. and you know, sometimes when you're when you don't go to church and you get there and it's a lot of church going on, 
you know, I first appreciate that the the person who I was there, who I'm, you know, who you're there to see, was a Christian, and so you appreciate that about their lives. That's one of the things that you kind of absorb on that day. Um, but it's you know, it's a lot. It's a lot of process, you know, and that's that's okay. You go mm-hmm. and you love and you think and you you know you reflect, and then you offer what needs to be to be put down. You know? So, what point in your life did you? Was there ever a point in your life where you're just like, all right, I'm not... You said 10 years old to start with. So 10, 10 12, young like that, um, that's when I realized that I didn't have to be so much because my head was in the clouds. You know yeah. I mean? Like, what are we doing here? I don't know. You know, I didn't have anything against it, but I'm like, why do we do this? Dad hates this. Why are we here? You know, so I think, you know... I don't know if if I just you know tagged along with dad. I'm sure you know when you're 12 years old. You just do whatever he's doing. And, That's um, what I did. It was easier. I mean, yeah. it was better. I was a good shooter. I loved it. I like hitting bullseyes. And I love hitting targets. And um, I felt great. And it was a moment that I had with dad. And like again, my my parents worked crazy Monday through Friday, and then Friday nights, and then sometimes on Saturday. And if there was ever a big accident, my dad had to go. If there was ever you know, big thing. Dad was just out there, and then yeah. he had so it was just time with Dad, and that that to us or me was more valuable than anything I was doing at Prince of Peace, even though it was a great yeah uh, church. I, I, like I said, my heads were in the cloud, and I was just like, "What are we doing here?" You know. And so, later some people in, would argue that you're too young to understand any of that, and I'm and I'm all about that. You know, yeah, but, but then, I'm just then, saying. Well, as a 12 years old, I was past. like, well, I was the same thing at 10 years old. I was like, no, this ain't for me. I've always been pretty strong-willed, and yeah. I think that if I had anything to say about it more than a couple of times in a row, my mom would have just been like, whatever, you don't have to go. <laughs> it's okay. Just stop doing what you're doing. You know. Yeah. And so I could see it going down like that. Not that we'd ever talk about that. Um, so then enter, you know, later in life. And like I said, through high school, I was reading books on Buddhism and Taoism. And, you know, I thought for a long time I was just like a polytheistic. Like, I thought everything had a god. Yeah. You know, it's the god of sunrises and it's a god of cool shoes or whatever. You know, I mean, it was just that moment in time where I had, I knew there was something above everything. And then that kind of fades out. And then, you know, just with, with a little bit more reading and, and kind of reading into enough of them to say that doesn't fit it doesn't fit it doesn't fit that doesn't fit it when it goes from that mode to okay so what does fit you know i really only bring in the things of nature and the things that are of the earth and the and and the sincerities between us you know and that's what fits and that doesn't need a church you know right. um so you know, that's more along the spiritual realm then, even though it's a tool. And that's good, but, you know, it's spiritual for what? I don't plan on anything. I don't fear anything. So it's just an existence, you but, know? Yes. It's like I have no consequence of, of doing anything wrong because who's keeping score? You? No. <laughs> you know, and, and I'm not either. Because you can help I'm, yourself to a doorknob for all I care, dude. Well, that's the thing, too. You know, you spoke of the church of the doorknob, and there's some <laughs> out there that are that are just that crazy. Grasshopper. And they have um, they have the tax-exempt status, too. Mm-hmm. So, in a way, financially as a business, all of the churches are pretty much uh, 
um, on level ground. So that's one thing that the Catholic Church and the Church of the Doorknob have in common. And when they're put in any kind of group together, it kind of makes them both look pretty silly, you know. Uh, so as a business-wise, they, they're very smart. They're just buying everything up and doing it all tax-free. Um, but when, you know, when you're talking about the way it makes you feel, uh, it's a lot of the same parallels in between the doorknob and the big cathedrals, you know. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. I do. Because it's just that mm. important to somebody, you know. To the, so the same guy that's devoted his life to priesthood there's some guy that's praying to a doorknob right now and he feels that he's devoted his life to the doorknob too you know so you know so there's both the same guy in a way all right yeah so So. you're uh so you you raise your you're raising your family to pick to pick their own so we had um has this been a discussion yet yeah you know my 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 12 year old is a is a genius He's a, a really fun person to yeah. talk to. Like he doesn't just sit there. He asks. He has question after question, and he comes back with opinions and 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 all that kind of stuff. So he's just an absolute. He's fun yeah. when he wants to listen and talk. You know, he is twelve, so that's pretty rare at mm-hmm. this point. But when he's into it. He knows that I'm a f- pretty fervent dude. I've got a lot of protests that, that you know, like, I'm proud to say that my kids have never eaten McDonald's with my money. Good for and you. And all that kind of stuff, you know. <laughs> so I protest quite a lot of, you know, crap throughout our life. You know, we don't buy Nestle products and, and, and you know, and all that kind of stuff. And they put up with a lot of shit from dad you know then that's just growing up with public enemy and punk rock music you know you know who it is because they're the ones that are getting you you know and and that's just kind of an awareness that probably is more taxing than beneficial but i hope it rubs off on them anyway because there's nothing wrong with good punk rock music (laughs) but um yeah but uh some good ones out there still today yeah Not that I listen to anything new. I still have the same friggin' CD collection as I did in high school, so... MXPX? No, that was a little too new for me. That's not punk. That's already profit punk. Rancid? I like Rancid. I've seen Rancid, like, a handful of times. They're they're a fun, fun show, and I know all their words by heart, so maybe that's a big (laughs) part of it, because, you know, you look like an old, gray idiot when you go to these shows, but I still go. Anthony's first concert ever was Bad Religion, so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so that I'm proud proud to have that one in the bank. Um but um as far as the kids in in religion is concerned, um like I said, Anthony is really capable of adult conversations and and I'm not I don't hold back, you know, he asks and I answer. I don't say much to him. His mom still has a reverence for the Catholic Church. She was a Catholic schoolgirl and all that kind of stuff. So at times that she chooses oh, wow. to go, I do not get in their way. But um, I would love to talk to her. <laughs> yeah, she's probably she's probably more interesting than I am. Mm-hmm. But um, but with the kiddos, it's kind of such a non-issue. But you know, I don't say you know I don't I don't like I said I don't damn it. You know, I'm not the guy that's like, oh, he came back from the dead, huh? Derp. You know, 
<laughs> it's like, hey, man, you know, it all gets lost in translations, and that was like thousands of years ago. So we're just going to kind of assume, and we're going to make these, you know, educated, suggestive assumptions of how it really went down, but we're still going to kind of pay it some homage to, like, a new beginning right. and, and, a, and a, you know... You know, addicts call it the Phoenix, I guess, and and other folks call it Easter. But to me, <laughs> it's just you know, you take it as you can, and you and you know that you know the story, but you heard it in a different language sometimes. You know, and it, with the kids, there's not a lot of pressure for them to to know, and there's not a lot of pressure for me to to get them thinking about it really. You know, because I mean, there's no consequences, y'all. No, you know, there's no hell, there's no set of rules, you know, there's nothing. And uh, as soon as we can kind of get away from the fear of uncertainty and and the confidence of existence, and and I'm here in front of you, you know, what else do you want? You know, I don't mind serving you because that's what makes us feel really good is to serve, you know, and, and to provide for. You know, whether it's, um, you know, helping your old grandma take a bath or, you know, making sure that, you know, um, making sure people can eat or making sure that the kid knows what he's doing in the band hall or whatever. If you're too proud to serve, you know, you might, you might not be doing it right. Yeah. That's right. If you're too prideful, you, you you've lost the idea. You lost the way. Yeah. Because you'd be like, "Well, I gotta look sharp and do this and do that." Yeah. When really, no, you can do man. Both. You, you just <laughs> chill out. Be humble, man. That's it. Yeah, you're good. And if you have an ego, like I have an ego, you know, I have, yeah. you know, I want to go to the gym to to lose. You know, I I mean, I want to I want to look all right. You know. And I want to do good things, and I look good doing it. So yeah. I'm I'm not afraid of the ego, and um, and all that kind of stuff. And I think that that serves some people. And I think that it gets really in the way sometimes. Even in my own case, you know, I mean that's that's a that's a you know one of those things where you try and change every once in a while. But yeah. um, you know, I don't I don't run from ego or or anything like that. I think pride is pretty silly. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, to to have a goal and and get to it, no matter how small it is, like you know, bigger biceps for swimsuit season. You know, <laughs> what are you gonna do? Judge me for wanting that? You know, I mean, it's fine, right? So, um, I just look at those things as as things that we do for ourselves. As long as you know, as long as it's not going too far. I don't consider it to be a thing of pride. I think it's just those small goals and sacrifices and surrenders that we kind of go through to help us define who we are and to live our best, like, happiest life, you know, even if it's just momentarily. Okay. Right on. Yeah. Um, Mm. Smooth jazz. Smooth jazz. All right. So, Stephen Green, you've, so you've come on to the show, and I really, really, really want to thank you very much for being on the show. It's been an honor to talk with you. I've been looking forward to this for a while now since I asked you, and uh, it's been at least two, three months since I actually asked you, I, I think. Oh, man, it's been almost a year. Uh, yeah. It's, well, really? Yeah, because uh, when you first told me, 
I'm not an is or ism. I was just like blown away, and and I uh, just had to talk to you more because then when I was telling my, I was telling Julie about you, my wife, I was just like, I don't know what he is, but for somebody to sit there and be able to say that without and just to come out and be like, yeah, I'm not an is or ism, that tells me that this person has put a lot of thought into it. They're very smart about what they're talking about. They've done their homework. And then now to hear that you made this decision at 10, that's amazing to me. That's remarkable because people will argue, just like they argue with me, this is, you're too young to make that decision. But clearly, just like I was, you are too. Very, very aware of what's happening. Just to kind of backtrack a little bit. I didn't, I didn't, there wasn't a decision to be made. In fact, let me, let me share with you. I wasn't done looking until I decided, and I wasn't confident in my decision until I saw the eyes of my wife when we have conversations like these, and she Um. understood that I was just not, you know, um, an organized religion guy, and she was super okay with that, even though she was. And so I want to kind of... It has to be said that she gave me the power to be confident in my conviction of non-convicting. You know, <laughs> that's what love I, is, man. I really, it yeah. really is. And she was, you know, and it wasn't. It was the first time where I wasn't like, um, you know, fingers, middle fingers in the air mm-hmm. to a lot of the, a lot of the stuff. And I was just like, okay with being um, absentee. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, you know, that's cool. And I, and I don't like judging people. And I don't like, um, you know, putting people in these boxes. Yeah. So it was the first time that it ever kind of went together that, um, that you know, good punk rock people with with their fingers in the air to like a lot of the things that we see nowadays can exist with, you know, people that would never think of doing that, you know, and... Um, and I have her to thank for that, like calmness, mm-hmm. you know, but from, so to back up real quick. And I, um, so at 10, I just found myself, it was okay with my family not to go every Sunday okay, and then enter more distance and then a social life and then all these band and work and, uh, girls and cars, you know, and it never, I just never went back. So it started at 10 as a kind of a. Um, and I say 10, it could have been 12, it could have been 14. I really, you know, it's a lifetime ago. Um, but so it wasn't like a decision was made. Decisions were made as I got older, didn't go, and then had less and less guilt of not going. And then more and more awareness of like, it's not guilt of not going. It's feeling, you know, a different way because I didn't, you know, and that felt better to me and more, more, um, maybe selfish in a way but you know here i am trying not to judge people you know it's a hard not to judge people it's hard hmm. why well because you're always right about everything right again i'm the guy who's with right who's ego. wrong yeah <laughs> i'm right yeah you're, I'm, <laughs> yeah I'm right you're not yeah. right <laughs> you know i came um, here to teach you guys no i'm just kidding so um well awesome man this has been an incredible interview i really really want to thank you for coming it's yeah, been, thanks for asking, man. And and I really want to do this again with you because I feel like there's a lot more in there 
that we haven't touched and i just want to keep going because just one thing i love about conversations with people like you not to put you in a in a box but but um so you're right in front of me talking to me so that's like not a box place you know yeah you're not going to write me down on some ledger as of this or that so this is good yeah so like there's um I, I love I get more out of talking to people like yourself than I do the people who have been in church all their life yeah. because I, this is where I've learned this is where I get fed this is where my world opens up more and now that I think about it is you say you read the, the uh, Buddhist in high school your mindset is very hey man it's cool that's all it is man it's all great baby that's all it is so that's well, so Dan let me ask you this what after talking with him now for almost three hours, does that strengthen your Catholic faith? There's no, um, I'm in, I'm indifferent because my mindset is open-minded no matter what. So I'm Catholic. That's it. But to not, but, but, and to hear somebody open up their selves to me, that's just, I love you more for it because you're coming in front of somebody who the world sees as the church and openly open yourself up on a mic to the world and saying, this is what I believe. And so, so whenever I tell somebody I'm a Catholic now in public, they give me a look like, Oh, you're Catholic because what's going on, all the scandals. And so when they talk to me, they're like, they, they're actually, they're actually afraid to talk to me now that they know I'm Catholic. Since as soon as I say I'm Catholic, they're like, oh, okay, we're going to walk over here because it seems that they do not know what to say to somebody who's Catholic because it's one thing about the Catholic Church. People like me or like Al were very um, knowledge in what the history is in the church and how mankind came along because we've spent so much time studying it so we can teach it to our kids and to better our, our surroundings in our church. And so when people come to me and say, well, this is not right, I'm like, well, let's talk about why this is not right because you don't know who I am, but I will gladly sit down, sit down and discuss it with you. So to your question, does this make me a better Catholic? Well, not really. I just like Stevie. Well, Stevie's no, a good friend. I, th- I think it does. Oh, I do too. How? I mean, because your disposition in fairness, like in this kind of aloof kind of like discussion, it's a uh, refreshing in a way mm. and like you said i'm a catholic and then you know you did your 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 hand in the all stop motion and that's kind of good because um i'm not here to sway anybody and oh, no. i think it's really refreshing to see the chutzpah of a believer especially in these times and it's you know no matter what you're believing in you have conviction and that's always a good thing to witness you know so I mean, and like I said earlier, you don't have this marketing, this, um, and you know, to take it a step deeper or by the root of it, this evangelical aspect about it, you know, and, um, and you're, you know, you're not trying to, you know, spread the word or whatever, invite me to church on Sunday, you know, kind of disposition, even though I would go and all that. And you're doing a good job of spreading the word and all that. Uh, so it's just kind of a weird, you don't get that often. You don't get the guy that doesn't, you know, have the full agenda on his plate, you know. My philosophy is our doors are open. You're welcome anytime. Yeah. Come sit down next to me. We'll talk. Yeah. We'll listen together. Um, and that's why I tell everybody our doors are always open. No matter what your race, color, sexual identity is or whatever, If our doors are open, man. 
You're welcome to it. And I'll gladly meet you there with arms open wide. Because that's what we do. That's what we should be doing. That's what we all should be doing. Not being like... You might want to talk to your boss. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he's doing that quite yet. <sighs> you know? Well, it's like, I, it's like I, I see people like, oh, he's gay. Okay, and what's wrong with that? Yeah. So he likes I mean, that. That's his thing. It's kind of how who's God made him. Right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, who's it to you? What's is he gonna hurt you? Is he gonna come and hug you? Is he come and try to kiss you? No, he's very well aware you are not. So he has nothing to worry about. It doesn't matter if you're black or white or yellow or pink or whatever, man. The doors are open. Yeah. Come on in, the water's fine. Okay, well you know, I asked you that and this is a very open mic and and we're not trying to convert you know, to Catholicism, you're not trying to talk us out of Catholicism, right. just an open conversation. But, um, and I'm not an official theologian or, or anything like that, I'm not, I'm not that smart. But what you've said and your attitude towards life in general is it's very Catholic, if you didn't know. I mean, it really is um, one, you don't judge people, two, it's live your life as best you can to do the best things for the people around you. Um, you know, you talked about giving and sacrificing. Uh, that's the way that Catholics should be living their lives without judgment and everything. And you're not that far away from it. And I'm not, again, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to pull you into the church. If right. you don't want to go, I'm not going to try to drag you in there. Nah, I don't care to. Um, <laughs> you make decisions on your own, dude. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we're, we're there. But uh, again, my point is that there are a lot of people who go to church every Sunday and they give hundreds of dollars every month into the donation plate and they're not nearly as Catholic as you are. And that's kind of sad for me as well. And there's other denominations as well. But uh, I just wanted to make that point before we ended the show, is that uh, it's refreshing to, to be around somebody like yourself and, and hear what you have to say. Well, I certainly appreciate those words and being here um, to spit my words. You know, and again, I don't try to influence, but I do try and make sure that people understand that, you know, we're all here. And if you if you're if you're living in fear of all this consequence, you know what does that do to the relationship that's in front of you right now, you know, and and all that kind of stuff. So um, I just try and live without judgment, and you know the laws that we have and all that kind of stuff. If you if you look at them, a lot of them are pretty silly, and I think that there's a lot of come, you know, into the. Um, different religions that are just as silly you know and if yeah. you put them all together i don't know how anybody does it because you know yeah. you got a whole set of local laws and state laws and federal laws and now you got these laws of this institution that you willingly go to and i just you know that ain't for me man i'm just trying to be here you know just be here that's a good place to be yeah if you make it that way yeah you know i try and make it good very good all right, it's Church Tale Productions. I'm Dan Lewis. Our very special guest today was Stephen Green, our co-host Al Peabody, a longtime old co-host, has finally showed up. And um, that's it, man. It's Stephen, thank you very much for being thank on our you, show. Guys. Thank you. Al, thanks for being here again. Thanks for having me. And that's it. Bye, that's folks. It.